This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome. It's Carm Capriato. Remarkable Results Radio. And my friend Tom Herman. Hi, Tom. Good morning, Carm. We're here to talk about what I think is probably a, well, who cares about safety attitude? <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Well, I'm saying that because I just don't want everybody to just say, okay, yeah, let's not listen to this, but I need you to listen to this. So we've got a friend of mine from Buffalo who's a, if you will, one of our resident experts for many of us independent shop owners. And uh, he's always at our monthly meeting and he always has this, if you will, five or six minute talk about safety. So we're here to talk about Tom Herman and his company, Small Business Safety and Compliance. He's out of Hamburg, New York. Remember, if you're in your living in the service aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening and we'll bring you the latest from Apex 2024. Save the date, November 5th through the 7th, 2024. For over 30 years, Napa Tracks has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. We'll prove to you that Tracks is the single best shop management system in the business. Find Napa Tracks on the web at N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. You started to work for the government years ago. Yes, years ago I was with it. Back in the old days when they had the Immigration and Naturalization Service, I used to work right in downtown Buffalo and I was the uh, safety officer for the agency. So interesting. Then you moved into the dealership network. You become a compliance officer there, right? Yes. I took the skills I'd learned in the federal government and just kind of moved them over to the private sector in a trade association here in Buffalo. And I helped about 100 dealers throughout the year make sure they were doing things right and in compliance and, and safely and for all the employees and customers. And then you decided to retire. I know, that 62 came up pretty quick, more than much quicker than I expected. So I said, you know what, I'm going to retire, spend some more time everyone's with the family. And before I retired, I had started a small company, didn't do a lot with it, a small business state and compliance company. And then I just started ramping that up a little bit and um, having fun doing it. I get great satisfaction and joy out of helping the small, independent garage owner. There's plenty of companies that do the big dealer group and do big companies, the Fortune 500, but there's not a lot of folks that I have come across that are there to help the small person. As you know, it's there's a million things to do in safety. And there's a million things to do in running a business. And who puts safety at the top of their list? Until you get an uh, invitation from Mother OSHA. It's true. When you get an inspection, is it announced? What happens? How does that work? Generally, it's unannounced. In fact, a lot of what happens is OSHA will receive a phone call from someone who has a an issue and they want to talk to OSHA about an alleged hazard at their workplace. And when that happens, compliance officer will take the information and then follow up with a uh, phone and fax to the employer to say, look, one of your people said these things aren't good. Uh, Can please tell us what's going on? And the employer needs to respond to that in five days. Okay. This episode is going to teach you a lot. And Tom has all kinds of great experience. So he's probably going to tell us some stories of real things that have happened in your level and your world. But I'm also interested in lift safety, extension cords. I remember hearing you talk about extension cords the other day, and I just said to myself, I better go around the house and look. (laughs) And the amount of amps that an extension cord should handle, hopefully you'll cover that. If there's water on the ground, you better have a ground fault interrupter within any of them areas. And I imagine that shops need to have GFIs everywhere. Or anywhere there's water. And a lot of people don't realize, I think, is that The things we're going to talk about today, most of them relate to the home as well as the workplace. What a great point. And a great example is an evacuation plan. If you have 11 or more employees in your workplace, you need to put an evacuation emergency action plan in place at your place of employment. And 
And the reason this is if something happens, and there was a, we saw this a while back, there was a terrible fire in Ohio, that collision shop explosion. I haven't found out what the cause was, but the point is when you have 11 folks or more, and even if you have less, it doesn't really matter. You need to have a plan of where you're going to go so we can count the heads, make sure everybody gets out safely. And we had a tragic fire here in Buffalo years ago at a furniture store where they didn't have a plan in place. Everyone was out. The manager thought someone was still in the building, ran back in the building, was overcome by the smoke, was killed literally eight feet from the door when in fact the employees were all outside. So that mechanism is important. So at our house, when the kids were little, we went to the neighbors to the right of the house. I tell them all the time, the dog, the bird, the rabbit, don't worry about those things. Don't worry about mom and I. Get yourself next door and knock on the door, wake the folks up in the middle of the night and tell them there's a fire, please call the 911. But we do it when we're next door. But if we don't know where we're going, we haven't talked about this prior to it happening, it doesn't help us. So at the home, young people, older people, having elderly parents in the house, let them know what you're doing, where you're going. Same as the workplace. If you're at Carm's Auto Repair and next door is the uh, 7-Eleven, all the employees should know we're going to meet at the 7-Eleven. And if you're there at the service desk with something as one of your advisors, you take that customer with you to the 7-Eleven. Simple things like this, people tend to overlook. And my job was always about sales. It was safety is about sales in my world. You want to sell the folks in the eye why it's important to do it. I was never a big person about the OSHA fines and the OSHA violations and this and that coming down on you and putting you in the newspaper. It's all about keeping the folks safe. It wasn't about the money for me. It was about the safety things, making that a part of your day every single day. I love your point. Safety is about selling and selling the reasons why. That's huge. That's an impact. If there's anything that you potentially or possibly learned, first of all, can't imagine a business owner that has this huge insurance policy that he is kind of, if you will, upholdened to. And you've got to be sure that everything that you're doing inside is for all the right reasons to keep your people safe. With Tom, a couple of, I see you almost every other, every meeting on Thursday mornings that we meet early. And I said, okay, I got to have you on. You're so knowledgeable. Come in and give us these stories, these examples. But what's the foundation of what we do? And he says, I'm going to send you the top 10 most frequently cited standards in 2023 from OSHA. And you may be flabbergasted when you see the number of violations of each of these. And we're not going to cover fall protection, but there were 7,000 some violations for fall protection because we didn't do something right inside of our business. Mostly construction sites. Yep, that's a problem. But to your point, the number one thing for us is hazard communication. And it's very simple. You want to communicate the hazards of chemicals to your employees in the workplace. And there's three big things that that involves. One is safety data sheets. If you're an old guy with gray hair like me, you remember the MSDS. Well, you remember in the old days, guys like with us with gray hair had the material safety data sheet, the MSDS. Yes. And we had binders. Oh, I remember that. It's just full. It's like PD Britannica. But tell me it's all online today. Oh, it is. It is so much better. It is so much faster. There's a couple of companies I use and you can get it from your phone, your laptop, your tablet, your PC, and you can print them and scan them and send them and you can download them. And the one company has over 13 million in, in their library. And this nice thing is we used to put a QR code on a poster on the wall above the PCs so the technicians could take their smartphone card reader and just hit the button and it would bring that whole library right up for them immediately. I mentioned earlier. So the biggest thing is, is the selling of the idea of why this is important. 
MSDS, now the SDS, and we all still go back to the old MSDS, I say it all the time, but the data sheet is not for after the fact. The idea is when the safety data sheet arrives with the chemical, it should be passed around to all the employees. So if you got, if you have a brand new brake cleaner in the building, you want to know the information from that safety data sheet. What's it look like? What color is it? What's it smell like? If I have too much of this, what's my body going to do? Am I going to have a headache? Am I going to get nauseous? Am I going to get dizzy? You're looking for ways that can help you work safer. Again, we're going back to the beginning. We're communicating the hazards of the chemical to the employees so they don't get hurt. I got a question. If there's this many violations and it's all available online, how are we misstepping? I think it's a classic case of what you know you don't know. And they think it's this huge elephant that you just can't bite into. And it's not hard. There is some setup time. There is some work involved. And it's the, it's the fear of the unknown, I think. But that's why people like me, and I know, again, I like working with a small person to help them provide this information, gather these sheets and put them online. Okay, so I know this is a huge responsibility of me as an owner. Do I have a computer terminal that is set up in the company that's multi-purpose, but also there's this big icon or, if you will, a shortcut on the windows that said, this is bing, bing, you know, arrows pointing to it so that everyone knows this is where they can rush to to get this information. Now, that wouldn't be a violation if I have it, if I have, everyone has access. No, and that's the, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what we're looking for. But let me just step back two steps. In HASCOM, and, and, and what you're looking at, if you want to get super technical, is the 29 CFR 1910.1200 for super nerds like me. Wait a minute, stop it. I can't believe you. That just rolled off your tongue? 30 years, you know. Oh my. I wasn't showing off. Didn't mean to show off. But that's the HASCOM standard. And what it says is you have to have a couple, three things. A written program, the data sheets, labels for your chemicals, and then really training is important. So the way I look at this is the first thing we do is we gather all the sheets. We take an inventory. You walk around the shop with a piece of yellow paper, a legal pad. You put down on the top or you can do a spreadsheet, whatever you want to do, the name of the product, who makes it, and the part number. And most of the stuff is available on the web anywhere you go. So you gather the, all the toolbox, the tool benches, the closet, under the counter, all those places, and you gather everything else. Then once it's in place, you decide, am I going to go with a paper binder and organize it? In which you mentioned earlier about some stories. I remember going to some places back in the day, that binder would have a half inch of dust on it. Literally. You know, look at the old, remember the old phone books when you were kids? You used to sit on them when you were a little guy at the dining room table. They, you'd see that with a half inch of dust. So I know they're not using them. And they tell me they were, of course. But anyways, you gather the sheets, put them in the binder. Or nowadays, I love the electronic version. Then you provide training to all the employees. There's a component of training. And it basically, it, it walks you through the state of the HHR. Now, since the global harmonization system came in place through the UN, all the manufacturers are required to provide these sheets in the same format with 16 uniform sections. So the nice thing here is if I'm training here or in New Zealand or in South Korea, section one is always about the company, who it is and what it is, where, how, do you get, how do you find them? Section eight is always about personal protective equipment. So if I'm using this product, what do I need to wear? glasses, gloves, a face shield, a respiratory respirator. What do I need? That's all important. That's why I say people think of these things as after the fact, but someone gets hurt, they want to find the sheet right away. You want to have that before it even gets to that point. Person should know about these. If you went to Apex 2023, then you realize the incredible commitment that Apex has to the service professional shop owner, technician, and service advisor. Joe's Garage is your place to hang out with 10 working bays and real live working conditions. 
Also, the best tech companies, from tools and repair to management software, had their latest and greatest on display and demonstrated for you. You also attended technical and business management training with the industry's best and brightest trainers, coaches, and teachers. Work is underway to make next year's Apex 2024 have even more product demos, trending training, marketing, and social media support to help you grow your career, sales, and profits. Remember, if you earn your living in the service aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening, and we'll bring you the latest from Apex 2024. Save the date, November 5th through the 7th, 2024. Let's face it, your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. Napatrax was built from the ground up to make your business more profitable and efficient. We provide an extensive set of tools to increase and track profitability in real time. Napatrax offers the industry's best post-sale support, hands down, and we train your people on-site. Yep, on-site. And we offer remote refresher training 10 times a week, and customer support is open six days a week. Give us a call, visit the website, or join our Facebook community today to learn more. We'll prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Napa Trax is always customized and tailored for you, whether you're a one-man shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at Napatrax, that's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. There's a couple of things that you said. You said policy and labels. So obviously, it wouldn't be difficult to write a policy that explains what needs to be done if something happens, but yet here's a resource that we can find out about it that includes the PPE stuff, personal protective equipment. But what was that labels thing all about? Well, labels, a lot of folks buy in bulk to save money. Well, if you're taking a five-gallon container and putting it into what we call a secondary container or a spray bottle, the information that's on that big five-gallon jug really needs to be on that label. And here's where a lot of folks have a misimpression of OSHA. OSHA has a lot of resources for employers to use to get the labels. You can also go back to your supplier, your distributor. They have them as well most times. And I tell all the folks, listen, don't get one. Get three or four, put them in the drawer. And that label, that's when you overspill that bottle of cleaner and it takes the glue off and destroys the label, go in the drawer, go around the label and glue it back on again. The idea is if you were to get hurt, Carm, and we find you on the ground and there's a blue puddle next to you, I don't know what the blue stuff is, but if I pick the bottle up and it says free cleaner and here's the name of the product and here's what it came from, here's the emergency phone number, the best case scenario, and I pray it never ever any of my folks, was if you have to call the EMTs as they're driving to your site, you are pulling that SDS out of the computer or out of the binder and you hand that to the person. Here's that sheet. Here's what Tom swallowed or drank or on his skin, whatever. That way, the best medical care possible can provide to that coworker versus probably a friend of yours. Number two in the country from OSHA has communication, as you called it in the trade, the HASCOM information. It's huge. Number one is fall protection, but number two is hazard communications. We could probably all do a better job. When you go out as a courtesy inspection to friends that you know, do you see a lot of this? Yep. A lot of them don't have the sheets or they're outdated. They have a few, but not many. So one of the things that's the first thing I generally work on is to try and get those sheets and explain to the employees, which we talked about. Look at it before you use the chemical, find out what you need. And I do the training. I walk through the sheets section by section, make sure everybody understands it. And I do a little little quiz. Wow. But again, OSHA is a great resource for this stuff. I'm already so absorbed into this. Man, have I learned a lot. Number six on the list of OSHA's top 10 is lockout tagouts. Yes. Lockout tagout, very simply, if you have a compressor not working, 
you want to go and ensure that that equipment, any piece of equipment, is could be a floor jack, could be a compressor, could be a lift, is locked out and tech out so someone doesn't use it. And the old the story I heard in training was there was a guy, an overhead door at the shop. So he's up on his ladder and he turned off the breaker, went about his work, got a phone call, got distracted, went down the ladder, did his work. One of the employees went to push the door up, it didn't work. So he went back, flipped the breaker back on, didn't work, walked away. Our guy comes back up the ladder, touches the motor, all of a sudden the motor starts up. So now we have a dangerous situation because he thought the motor was turned off at the breaker panel box. So there's a whole process involved to lock out, tag out. Well, that's smart. It's brilliant that if you are going to be working on any piece of equipment and you turn something off at the breaker, that you should tag that to say that it's locked out. Yes, every piece of equipment should have its own procedure. And many times you'll find that the contractor has the tags, the locks. And that's why you identify breakers in your panel box. So while you're turning off, you can lock out that individual breaker or lock the whole box out if it's a big job. Pretty involved. And we leave that to the specialists. This only just seems logical that if you have a if you have a floor jack that doesn't work, number one, why is it on the floor? And number two, that it should be tagged out, locked out. I mean, I can see you doing everything that you can to be sure that that handle doesn't move. Think about the bench grinder. Another great one. People plug the bench grinder in, might have a bad cord, might have a damaged wheel, whatever. So you, they make a little device you can put over the cord end so it can't plug it in. And you can lock it out and put your name on it. It says, Karma's working on this. And you and your boss each have a key to, the, to that cord end. And you go to your work and you were done, unlock it, put it, back in, get, put it back in service. And again, there's two types of folks, authorized people. And you want to make sure that you tell all those folks, affected people. So if you're affected by the lack of a compressor, if I'm the authorized person, I went and told all the people that were going to use that compressor, hey, brush it down for a couple hours, I'm working on it. And again, lockouts are pretty involved standard. Does OSHA find a lot of missteps around uh, bench grinders? Oh my gosh, tons, 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 tons. I used to win a lot of lunch bets. I'm a big foodie. I used to win a <laughs> lot of lunch bets with the technicians on uh, grinders. It's the machine gardening standard and it's number 10 on the list in 2022 and 23. And everyone feels that they're right that the grinder is required to have those little shields above the wheels. Not required. Yeah, who needs that? It's you need to wear PPE. You need the glasses, the face shield, something else. And that's why above the grinder, there'd be a sign saying, Eye protection required. So those things don't need to be there, but everyone has grown up in that folklore. They've got to be there. It seems to me that if OSHA comes in for whatever reasons and they see these little tiny, if you will, I'm going to put in quotes, air quotes, nuisances <laughs> that we would look them as, it's just got to grind away at the owner of the shop realizing it's logically that's important. And these are the little tiny things that just piss you off, I'm sure. Uh, to go back to your eccentric cord issue earlier, when I do my inspections, I look at all the, almost all the cords and I would find in every shop a couple that ground was broken off and missing. And oftentimes you'd find the ground in the outlet. So I would go over to one of the technicians and always ask, never take a tool, always ask, okay, can I borrow your those pliers for a moment? I'd go over and pull the ground prong out of the outlet, show it to the guy. I didn't know that was there. My frustration was the fact that this is a tool this for this man's occupation or this woman's occupation. Don't you want to be safe? So you take the damaged cord and to the parts department or to your boss, say, hey, I got a damaged cord. Little responsibility. In all my 30 years, I've never had anyone say, I'm sorry, Carm, that's your second cord of the month. No more for you. <laughs> you know, it's $11. Here's your new cord. How goes that? And you can put a new end on it if you want to. You know what, Tom? It goes back to what you were saying about communicating safety to the team and making this a requirement in business meetings. Maybe it's quarterly to say, have we seen any, found any, observed anything, and to bring safety up the ladder, if you will, into a profile of, of, the, of the business? One of the best things to do is to have someone do a monthly inspection. 
Just walk around the building. And a lot of these things will jump out at you. You'll see the bad cord, the missing ground, or the cut in the cord. You will see that the eyewash is no eyewash at all, or it's black or not full of water from the self-contained unit, things like that. Just walking around looking for things that are that don't make sense. You know, it's not, it's, you don't be an expert, but you just need to look at why is that the way it is? And then tell someone, tell the boss. Well, you just mentioned eyewash and that's number nine on the list with 2000 violations in 2023, the personal protective, the PPE stuff, which is an eyewash part of that? Uh, it is. The yeah, eyewash is important. And again, if you look at the data sheet under first aid information, it will tell you many times to flush the eyes for 15 minutes. That's the new the ANSI standard, American National Standards Institute, 358, I think it is, 0.4. They will tell you that the eyewash needs to be within 10 seconds travel time or 50 feet of where there's an issue. So think about the technician who's replacing a battery or spraying brake clean and a gust of wind comes to the door on a summer day and it blows right back in their face with not wearing glasses. You want to be able to get to that eyewash, drop the door down or pull the lever or whatever it is you do and have that water flow for 15 minutes to completely flush the eyes out. Then if you're still bothered, it says seek medical attention. But the old days, there was no standard on how long you needed it to run. So the eyewash is a 15-minute continuous flow of water. Tom, when you walk into shops, what's the percentage that mechanical specialists, technology specialists that are working on these vehicles are wearing eye protection? Probably 50-50. But here's, here's another story again. We had a guy, owner, mandated that everyone wore glasses the minute they walked through the shop door, 24-7. He himself wouldn't do it. And I would counsel them and say, look it, if you're going to mandate this, you need to shut an example. If you're going to walk in or take a customer in or anybody that goes in the back, that big sign on the door, pass this, everyone pass this point, then you need to do that. Because if you're not going to do it, they're not going to do it. You know, that is a great point. Many shops or owners are so proud of their facility that they want to take a new customer or even a, an established customer. Say, hey, I want to show you some new equipment that we have to continue to work successfully on your vehicle. And they walk them through the shop without any PPE. And again, we go back to HASCOM. The PPE standard says in the SDS says you need to wear a personal piece, personal PPE equipment. The owner's responsible for providing that equipment at no charge. So if the SDS says you need to wear glasses and gloves when using this product, the owner needs to provide glasses and gloves to an employee. And not just any pair, a pair that fits them comfortably, that they'll actually wear. Because my thing was always, I don't, I don't want you to work 24-7. If you're doing something that could reasonably be expected be a potential hazard to you, a danger to your eyesight, then put the glasses on. But if you're doing something that's not hazardous and there's no risk to your eyes, then don't wear them. But if you're changing a tire, put the glasses on. So OSHA stops in, or you do, because you're doing an inspection on the shop and you ask this, you're doing the PPE focus. Do you ask, do you work on hybrids and EVs? We do. It's coming up. And then there's, that's a whole new set of rules. It's going to be, and we talked about last month with Tom about the fire issue and the high voltage. It's, you mentioned earlier, I think these folks need to be electrical engineers now. Yeah, they really do. So that's going to be important that if you're working on hybrids or EVs, that you've got the proper PPE, personal protective equipment available for your people. And I'm sure that if they've gone to training, I'm not sure you're going to ever let anyone work on those vehicles without having gone through training. And most of the trainers that I know, PPE is a very big component of it. And most, in fact, I think almost all hybrid and EV classes are all hands-on. I mean, so they're being not forced, but encouraged to wear all the PPE while they're actually in the training classes too. So it's a ground route, if you will, initiative in, in the aftermarket. So interesting. You had mentioned respiratory protection in this, and that was about 2,400 violations. Do we need to have some kind of breathing masks when we're involved in certain chemicals, Tom? 
Absolutely. The SDS calls for it again, but we here we're focusing on the collision industry, if you will. And those folks, respiratory protection is very important. A couple of key components there. We go back to the written program again. And then we look at things like testing, medical evaluation, medical surveillance, and fit testing. Prior to an employee using or wearing a respirator, they should have medical evaluation, medical surveillance performed by an occupational medical provider. That's your GP, the guy you're going to for your annual checkup. How are we going to get that? As an owner, do I have to find this individual? Explain this to me. It's a little off out there for me. So for our body shops, we always erred on the side of caution. You could do a lot of testing and find out what the levels are of different chemicals in the body shop, mixing room, and in the spray booth. We always erred on the side of caution. So we would use, an, if you get the phone book or your internet in your community and look up occupational medical provider, you'll get a list of folks who do this work. And they're trained to do medical evaluation. It's a test. It's an OSHA standard again. I think it's 1910-134. And basically it says that you need to perform a medical evaluation to make sure that Carm is healthy enough to wear that respirator while he's doing his job. So maybe eight hours, maybe four hours. You'll go through a series of questions. It's in that code of federal regulations again. And that special medical provider, doctor, nurse, PA will review that and then just interview you and make sure that your lung capacity, your physiology is, is safe enough to wear the respirator. What's the impact on a normal automotive repair shop, non-collision? It would depend on what type of chemicals they're using, like a brake fiend, those kind of things. Sometimes they call for it. If you get an area that's not well ventilated, it might ask for that. But then you'd involve some testing. Let's go back to the age of COVID. We were all wearing some form of mask. I'm just working on uh, brakes. A lot of dust, a lot of brake dust there. Do you recommend as a an individual that consults like you do and, and verifies like you do, that people should be wearing masks around those types of jobs? When you look at the Code of Federal Relations, Carm, it's all the least allowable by law. The minimum standard, if you would. And I used, the, used NASA, for example. Uh, men and women who were sitting in that space capsule, they were, all the stuff they're sitting on was, was the lowest bid. So if you look at safety, you can always go above and beyond. And I have an example myself. When I was a kid, I never wore headphones mowing the lawn. I have the old school gas mower, and I mow away in a whole bit. Well, now, last couple of years, I put ear protection on for that hour I'm mowing the lawn. It just the noise is such that, you know, I'm in my 60s now. You know what? I thought, oh, you know, it looks silly. The neighbor's going to talk about me and that. I don't care. My hearing is important to me. Wow. To me, that was a watershed moment. It's like, wow, why aren't you doing this at home? That's heavy. And I think important, too. I think the older we get, the more we don't give a crap what people say or do. Right? <laughs> just... <laughs> Okay, you can write it off till I'm getting old, but to a point, if we were in our 40s and worried about ear protection or hearing, listen, everybody's physiology is different. You may have a degeneration of your hearing just because maybe it's part of hereditary. Why have an outside force help you get there? I think about the technicians that shop with the air hammer with the ball joint. We all heard it's super loud. Well, why do you take two seconds and tell the people on either side of you, hey, I'm going to take this ball joint off. Why don't you give us ear protection the next couple of minutes? The employer provides of nothing, either the headphones or the little foam jobs you put in your ear, those kind of things. Easy. Look, thanks so much for covering the OSHA Top 10. We, we picked about six or seven out of there, but let's talk about lift safety just a little bit. Big topic. Yeah. What do you see? We're fortunate. There's a great group called the Automotive Lift Institute right in Cortland, New York. They're kind of the be-all, if you will, end-all for lift safety. And it's another ANSI standard. And they certify lifts. They have all the manufacturers involved in a roundtable. They get together. They work to make sure the standards are improved. They provide a annual or a test, an online exam that really every technician should be using and taking to ensure that they are knowledgeable on lift safety and how to properly place a vehicle on a lift so it won't fall off. We've all seen those YouTube channels where the, the Corvette rolls up and the guy walks in and the Corvette slowly slips down and on the floor and just gets destroyed or it tips over sideways and lands on its driver's side. 
lift safety, again, it's a simple exam. There's a short video you'll take to, to watch about how to position the car on the lift, what to do, how about keeping your bay clean and make sure the cables are in good shape. You pass the test, you get your certificate, give it to the boss, you're good to go. And then once a year, it also requires that a qualified, competent, certified lift technician inspect that lift for proper operation. Again, I'm not saying that an auto technician or a technical specialist couldn't do it, but this person has gone through a very lengthy and rigorous course to ensure they know how that unit operates, the hydraulics, the physics, all that stuff, and they can ensure it's working safe. Let's face it. No one in the world wants anyone hurt, whether it's SDS sheet, a lift, grinder, whatever. The standard, they know that the standard calls for annual inspections and truly a daily inspection by the operator. You should be knowledgeable. There's a checklist. If you look at the a standard for lift safety, if you, if you call ALI out in Cortland, they can provide all this information for you. Great group of people who are dedicated to making sure that our technical specialists in the back are safe. Send me the link to that site. We'll put it in the show notes for this episode. Okay, so if I was the company that installed the lift, would I then have some kind of certifications? Would I be the company pick up the phone and says, listen, come in and do a, an inspection for me? Absolutely, yep. And if you go to the ALI website, you can look up by zip code and distance a qualified and certified lift inspector. This is countrywide. Oh yeah, and it's worldwide actually, but I know it's throughout the US. Tom has said to me, Carm, we got to get in the car, drive to Cortland. It's what, maybe two and a half hours, something like that, maybe three hours. Actually, Tracy went to school in Cortland, the State University of New York at Cortland. I remember driving that a lot and we should go there and do an episode from there. That's a cool idea. They have a lab actually. So when you become a certified lift inspector, you need to certify each type of lift. So they have each type of lift in their lab. So the person who wants a certification can go through and prove that they're proficient in that style of lift. And you don't get it until you pass all, every one of them. A yeah, fellow named Bob O'Gorman runs the, is the president of the company. Great guy. He's very dedicated to safety. And this is a nationwide located here in New York. Yep. Right in Cortland. You might've gone by it with when you were there in town one time or another. Oh, trust me. I'm sure I have. I'm sure I've done it. Any final words? I know we could go on for two hours to talk about safety. Our goal here was to... Put some responsibility in the mind of our listener, how important this is. I mean, you just don't want to be that one particular instance that, oh, everyone says it'll never happen to me, but sometimes it does. Oh, and then we, we pray it never does. But here, my follow-ups are, finals are proactivity. Be proactive. Do the monthly inspection. There's a million checklists on the website. I have them. You can reach out to me. And when we say monthly, it means every 30 days. Check the extinguishers. Check your exit lights. Check the lift. Check the eyewash. Those kind of things. And reach out. There are OSHA has a non-enforcement specialist in every office to help you with these things. There's a ton of resources on the OSHA webpage. There is a ton of resources locally. Many states have their own state plan. You can reach out for no charge. They'll come in and assist you. And things like we talked about, the evacuation plan. If you're a shop, especially if you're going to go EVs, Call your local fire department, have them come in and look at your shop. Do so. It, those are the kinds of things I look for is to be proactive. Don't be afraid of the safety. It's not, it's the unknown is not a problem. Reach out to, for help. We've done episodes on EV fires on remarkableresults.biz. Just go there, find the search button, search bar, and just type in EV fires. Great and interesting stuff. Okay. An idea that popped into my head. I've got this great company, some really good people. Why don't I say, listen, I need to have a safety specialist. Anyone interested in this role? It's basically a non-paid role, but it's a critical one. I need you to do an inspection around the shop. And someone raises their hand and says, hey, boss, I'll do it. How does that person get training? I look at the OSHA Ed Centers. 
They're located across the country. There's one in Buffalo, one in Rochester, and they have a litany of classes to take. Start off with the easy, HASCOM, how to read the code regulations, and move forward from there. And they're fairly inexpensive. And I would definitely look up OSHA Ed Center. But I could start tomorrow by saying we need to look at our the equipment that works, the equipment that doesn't. We need to have, again, let's go back to the HASCOM, the lockouts, the respiratory protection, the PP&E, and the machine guarding. I mean, if we just concentrated on that, we're probably way ahead of the curve. One of the big things I see all the time is no one's looking at the fire extinguishers. It's a simple task. Oh, God, yes. Those tags are there. You just flip the tag over and there's 12 little blocks that say date and buy. They're blank. You know, my inspectors, I do them for the employer. But I tell them, here's what you do. You know, look at the gauge, look at the hose, look at the sign above it. Make sure it's mounted properly, no rust. And if it's all good, initial it and put it back. As long as the gauge is where it belongs. And every 12 months, your vendor will call and say, Carm, you're doing next month. Can I come in and do your extinguishers? Yeah, come on in. Take care of them for us. It's an easy train. Okay, there's guys like Tom Herman all over the country, right? Absolutely. How would we find a Tom Herman in Kansas City? What do we search for? I'd probably look for safety consultant in the website. And again, you can always reach out to the OSHA folks. There's a state, usually state plan available at no charge. Again, the thing is salesmanship. Sell the employees. Why do you want to do this? And be proactive. If you have a question, most of these agencies aren't there to find you. They want to help you. It's in all of our best interests to work together. Wow. Well, I guess we're thankful that you went to work for the government many, many years ago as a safety and health specialist inspector with the government. And then you moved into the private sector and you retired and you said, hey, I'm going to go out and help all the local shops in Western New York get safety compliant. Wow. Cool. A lot of them want to do it, Carmen. It's amazing. They see the need and they want their employees safe because let's face it. I know you've had many episodes on the technician shortage. The last thing you need is somebody to be hurt out of work for a month. Just think of the heaviness of what Tom just said. We don't need to create our own void by not paying attention to our safety. Small business safety and compliance company is Tom's company here, local Buffalo guy. And we so appreciate this. I learned a ton and I'm sure our listener did too. So if you learned something good, please go out and do something with it. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Carmen. It was a pleasure. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. Bye.